Chapter 1. Olivia Most of the time people try to avoid talking about what happened. Even when their conversational acrobatics fail and the subject arises anyway, they stay within the very narrow subject of warning signs. Specifically, warning signs that I somehow missed. I get it, I really do. If there were warning signs and I missed them, then that makes this my fault. It's a lot easier to blame me than it is to blame a dead man. If there were warning signs, that means that this whole situation was entirely preventable. And that means people can stop it happening to them. All they have to do is be a little more vigilant than I was. Poor, foolish Olivia. So blind to what was happening right there in her own husband's mind. I want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about bloody warning signs. I just want to say his name. I want to scream it in anger and I want to wail it in grief. Mostly, I just want to hear myself say the words aloud, without feeling like I'm making whoever is in the room with me unbearably uncomfortable. My husband's name was David Wyatt Gillespie. When he died, he was 37 years old. He was on the town council and one day he was going to run for mayor. He was the captain of our town cricket team for 10 years and when he was at university he played representative football. He always said he might have gone pro if he hadn't been so focused on his business degree. Here in Milton Falls, David ran a full-service car dealership, the only one in our small town. You might not think that a tiny Australian village would be the right place for a prestige dealership like that, but David found a way. He was so good at what he did that people came from miles around to buy their new cars from his team, and they usually returned for their servicing too. David was just over six feet tall, and in recent years a little overweight. He had thick black hair that stubbornly held onto its colour, but it had just begun to recede in the year before he died. David was charming and effortlessly persuasive, a salesman through and through. He could take on an irate customer and with a flash of that smooth grin and some well-placed words of consolation, turn them back into a devotee. He was that guy at high school. The one all the girls wanted and the one all the boys wanted to be. Out of my league, for sure, or so I thought, until we met again at university. The night we got together, our eyes locked across a crowded room, and it was like we were seeing each other for the very first time. I felt like I was a character in a romance novel or a princess in a Disney movie somehow brought to life. It's funny how even the memory of that first night is no longer pure. It's tinged with guilt and uncertainty. Did I feel that overwhelming tug of attraction because of genuine chemistry with David, or because I wanted to be swept off my feet. I was no passive participant. This was no case of falling in love. It was entirely jumping into love with both feet, well before checking that it was safe to do so. I wanted to live a fairy tale, and I told myself that's what I was doing, even long after it became apparent that there would be no happy ending. Even now, when I think of him, I'm scared. He's dead and I'm safe, but I'm still scared. Perhaps the strangest thing about all of this is that there's no denying that I loved him too, at least at one point. 
Sometimes I actually miss him, but then, in the very next breath, I find that I hate him so much that I hope there is a hell, just so that he can be suffering like he left me here to suffer.'